look at Lone Star Cellar. You guys have a really big idea. Lone. He's got a, uh, what are you going to share with us? Cookies. Cookies on the so we are we are here, and this session is called "How to Create a Life-Giving Culture with the One and Only." Pastor Rick, is that everybody in the house? Um, this is my wife, Tim, in the back, and my name is Chris. Chris is Wayne. We are we've actually been a part of Art now for four years. I, we were we were three months away from launching a Citizens Church in Redlands when a man sat down next to me at a lunch table, and he said, uh, "Hey." Are you planting an ark? And I said, I don't know. He says, Why aren't you planting an ark? I said, I don't have a sending church. And he said, I didn't even know the guy. I said, I want to be a sending church. That's Pastor Greg Surratt. He threw his arm around us. And from that moment, we have seen God just do some incredible things. And we are learning all along the way. Here's where, here's where we're at today in, 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 in churches all across America. A lot of churches have um, hit a ceiling, like they've, they've hit a growth barrier that they've not been able to get past. A lot of churches are actually on decline right now. Um, there's, that's happened more and more than ever before. Pastor Rick is that since 2001 has has seen nothing but growth. I believe you guys are about 20,000 people now with 17 different campuses, all in Arkansas, you guys, all in one place. So one thing that we, we know that God is, is touching and knowing is this idea of life-giving churches. And so Pastor Rick, uh, Pastor Rick is going to talk to us today about creating that culture. So everybody give it up. Pastor Rick is that. Come on. Thanks for sharing this story because the way the arc started for me, this is a very common question. Uh, What's your perspective on the way that the arc started? Because my best friend, Chris Hodges, and then our church, we started on the same day, February 4, 2001. And uh, we started at 9.59 a.m. He started at 10, so we beat him by a minute. uh, The way it started for me, uh, gosh, it was similar to your story. When, when we went to get together to start our church, it was intimidating. Raise your hand if you planted, all right? It's the scariest thing in the world. People, people say, you must have felt a lot of faith. No, I just felt a lot of fear. I felt stupid. And, uh, but there were days where I had, I just, I knew we could do it. Uh, but one particular day, about 45 days before we launched our, our first service, uh, Greg Surratt, he came up to me and he said, hey, I hear you're going to plant. I said, yes, sir. He goes, my name is Greg. I said, my name is Rick. He said, listen, um, the Lord told me uh, to tell you that we're going to give you $12,500 a month for your first year. And I was like, I went in the bathroom and I cried. I came back out and I found him. I said, hey, what does guarantee mean? (laughs) I want to know. He didn't say we're going to give you that much. He said, guarantee it. So why? He said, oh, I'm not going to give you $12,500 a month. He said, I'm just going to guarantee it. You can go ahead and put that in your budget. So in the first month, you take in $1,000, and we'll give you $11,500 on top of that. Wow. You take in five. Listen, that was, that was such a momentum builder for us. Yes. I forgot to take the offering up the first week. Because <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like And uh, so we started the church. And uh, moved to a state I didn't know anyone, and um, and left Bethany World Prayer Center, one of the greatest churches in America. Uh, Pastor Larry Stockton, praise hand if you know them. And uh, so we moved there, and uh, about 45 days before we had our first service, which is a dumb thing to do, 
and uh, that's what we did. And so we had our first service, and I didn't take up the offering. I had our next service, uh, took up the offering, and then forgot the third time. And then the fourth time, we counted the money for that month, and we took in $17,623. And, uh, and I called Surratt, and this is where the ark started for me. I called Surratt, and I said, Greg, we, we took in $17,623. Uh, we don't need the money. And he said, do you know who else I can give it to? No. And I said, who are you, Jesus? <laughs> it was in that moment that I realized, wow, this is a, this is a good friend. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, the arc is pretty much this. this is, if you want to know, I'm going to oversimplify it, but this is it. The ark is like a think tank that gives you relationships, that gives you resources when we can, 804 times so far. And then we give you ideas. So right now, I just want to give you some ideas. Uh, because we did plant a church, not knowing many people. We made a lot of mistakes and uh, not a lot of embarrassing moments. And uh, But one thing I've learned is how to have a relational church where the people want to stay on staff for the rest of their lives. And, uh, and that's, we don't, we don't have any, the only people who have left our staff are the people who fell into sin. That was about 500. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and, uh, but but I, I, just, I just want, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go eclectic on you. This is going to be some random ideas. Uh, I thought of so many different things I could talk about. Uh, I wanted to speak on multi-site because we, we do multi-site a different way, different than anyone I know. And uh, so I just put it in here. So I just threw in some stuff. Uh, but the way I started our church is part of being my kid. I went to my pastor. I'm not scared of anybody. I never have been an intimidated person. I have a lot of fears, but that's not one of them. I'm not afraid of other people. But I, I am afraid of Pastor Larry Stockstill. <laughs> if he walked in right now, I wouldn't know what to do next. But I now know that it's honor more than anything else. I just love the brother. So when the Lord started stirring my heart up, and the, the advantage that I have on on planting a church is different than a lot of people. I was doing church consulting work, traveling around America, teaching people how to grow again. Every denomination, every type church. And so I was taking copious notes on when it was working, when that church was doing well, and when they were not. I was taking this and throwing it into the vision. If I ever plant, these are some of the things that I would do. And here's some things that we would never do. Well, then one day... Uh, the Lord laid on my heart to plant a church, which meant I had to talk to Brother Larry about it, which meant I was scared. So I went up to Pastor Larry to try to schedule an appointment about a year later. And I said, hey, Pastor Larry, I need to talk to you about something. I want to schedule him to tell you, assistant. I want to talk to you about something. He goes, tell me right now. I said, no, 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 Pastor, it's not a foyer kind of thing. Uh, I, want to talk, I want to schedule it toward the end of the year. And uh, he goes, no. He goes, our boys play ball together tonight. Uh, so, uh, T-ball, and uh, tell me tonight. I said, yes, sir. So I prayed for the rain that day. <laughs> it didn't rain. And I showed up. He was there, and he walked right over me like a gentleman. He says, what is it? And I said, Pastor Larry, I think the Lord is stirring my heart up to plant a church, and he interrupted me. And he said, it's not a good time. We're starting a campus on the south side of Baton Rouge. I need you right now. And now I interrupted him. And I said, Pastor Larry, I didn't come here to tell you what I'm going to do, sir. I'm, I'm scared to death right now. 
I just came to talk to you because I know you're only talking to other people about it. So I'm going to tell you about it, and if you don't like the idea, we'll shut it down. And then Pastor Larry said, well, then shut it down. And I said, yes, sir. So it didn't go quite like I wanted it to go. <laughs> and so we shut it down. It was two years later when Pastor Larry approached me again. He said, hey, that idea of planting a church, it's not dead in you, is it? And I said, no, sir. He said, well, you've done it right. If you can tell me where you're supposed to live the rest of your life, I'll let you go, but not until then. So it's a long story how we chose Arkansas, but thank God we did, because one day I told him, and he released me, and, um, and that's how we've done it. First thing I want to tell you about is don't leave without the blessing, because you're going to have to have it. We have too many renegades right now running around doing whatever they want. They find the ark, and then they call it uh, the blessing. Uh, and I, I don't mind the art blessing you, uh, but but all of the ministry, all of the days that you've spent with someone else, at least consider the honor to continue there. I want to tell you, we have nothing without my pastor there. And uh, I call him for every decision we possibly can. And I know I could have broken that relationship early on in the game. So can I have an amen to that? Amen. Second thing, when I was traveling around, and study in different churches, and this will probably be the most important thing in life-giving culture that you're going to run into in terms of my talk. Uh, when, when I would travel around and you would see different churches, I noticed pretty quick, as you would sit at the table with them, you could tell that a lot of churches were competing against themselves. And there was no way for greater leadership to get in the gate. It got to the point where I was I was able to tell if it was a life-giving church by the way they picked me up at the airport. Wow. Wow. Now, I cannot really explain that, but those of you that travel a lot and speak, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You can just tell. So, but here's what I noticed. I want to zoom in and just show you. If you're sitting at the table with a staff, and the average person at that table, let's do it this way. Name a sector of ministry in the church, any area. Name it. Youth, okay, so a youth pastor is a 7 on the scale from 0 to 10, which is impossible to measure someone's leadership. But just for the sake of discussion, let me give them a 7, okay? And the average church, maybe in your church, this will keep you from having a life-giving culture. It'll keep you from continuing to grow. It'll cause you to have to fire people along the way. And nothing will destroy relationships or the life-giving side of your church more than firing someone. Is there another way to do it? So in the average church, if you're the youth pastor is a 7 on a scale from 0 to 10, and somebody else shows up who's like a 9, in most churches, that is a dilemma, not a good day. Yeah, it's true. So what, happens, what has to happen in that moment is they have to stiff arm that new person. So let's just say that somehow get in front of the teenager and tell their story, and they're hilarious, and they know the word, and they're fun, and everybody in the youth group is going to go over to the youth pastor and say, you need to let them speak more. They're hilarious. We like them better than you. And that is a problem in the church today. So how do you change that? Well, I have an executive team right now who helps us run the whole church. Many of them started with us in the very beginning. We have added to the team, but we haven't had to take anybody out of the team. Well, if you know anything about church growth, you know for sure they're not all tenants. 
but they're all still leading everything with us. How did that happen? I'm glad you asked. That's a good question. If you're a seven, or your worship leader's a seven, and somebody comes around who's a nine, who can kill it, in the old school, the old way, the non-life-giving church, they have to get them out in order to continue to protect their job. In a life-giving church, it all starts when the nine comes in with the seven around. Like the party kicks in then. So your seven doesn't need to be an eight or a nine. Because I'm going to tell you, they're not going to get there. Your guess is right. They're stuck. But if they're finding a bunch of nines, then how champion-like is that? I mean, so my team, the team that is around me, is the team who's good at eyeballing and finding people who are better. And now they're running the entire church. So in the old realm of things, you just start with a seven and then it just goes down from there. But in a life-giving culture, it gets better and better and better and better. When you start a church, everybody has to be well-rounded. And in fact, our original staff might have been over 10 different things. Uh, but as they were, we started growing, they started moving closer and closer to their spot, their slot of expertise. So maybe they're a nine in that place and a four in a different place. And we kept moving them over to, to the area where they're best. But that still will not cut it in terms of growing consistently through the years. They still have to be good at spotting better people and better people. For example, our worship leader uh, had somebody on his worship team, and he said, you've got an event, and you're like, you, you can win souls better than anybody I know, and you can sing. But it's not, it's not really, it doesn't fit that well with the church. But it would fit well in the secular world. So I want to encourage you to try out for American Idol. Chris Allen tried out for American Idol, and he beat Adam Lambert uh, several years ago. That was spotted by our worship director, who's about an eight and a half or a nine, but in my opinion, he's a 10 or 11, because we have so many work. We now have 55 different worship teams, and it's all because that brother knows how to find people who are better than them, and that's how you celebrate it. Okay? Relationships. No matter what position you have in the church, I don't know of a life-giving church right now that doesn't have authentic relationships. And, uh, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to describe it to you. Some of this is my story. I don't want to get into it too much. But I have friends. I can walk in the room and they know if I'm doing well or not. And uh, because I tell them what I need to be prayed over, I tell them where I'm doing well. But I'm going to tell you right now, you can have friends scattered out all over the nation. And that is not going to cut it like if you have friends in your own church. Because your overseers are not at your staff meetings. And they don't know if you're cutting people's throats and staff. So you're going to have to have relationships within the culture of your church. Don't count it done with everyone outside. It's got to be happening inside. And what I've noticed, the more successful we have, the more success we have, the less someone will walk across the room and tell me that I, that I, that I hurt somebody or I did the wrong thing. Uh, there, there's a little more intimidation, and that should intimidate you. 
You're going to have to have friends. When I first got married, my wife and I fought every day for the first year when we got married. How many had a rough start? Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, the scripture says, don't go to bed with anger in your heart. We were staying up for like 10 to 12 days at a time. <laughs> My wife, she is so smart and beautiful and easy to get along with, but I had issues. The issue I had is that we would never admit when we were wrong. It sort of goes with the territory of being a Cajun and a BZ. So my wife and I were fighting all day, every day. And then uh, one day my pastor asked me to speak. I'd never spoken to more than 300 teenagers. And he asked for me to speak to the entire church. It's like the largest church in Louisiana, I would guess. And uh, so I'm trying to prepare the sermon. I walk by my wife, and there she was. She said something to me, and I just went off on her. I don't have an anger problem, but I can debate anybody. And I said, Michelle, I, I'm sick of you. I'm trying to prepare a sermon in here. And then you're going to say that as I'm walking through. I'm under a lot of pressure right now. And, and, and what you said, and she said something else, and I looked at her and I said, Michelle, shut up. And I went and got my water and went back into my office, and my wife was crying so desperately in the other room. Here's the problem. I didn't have a person to call. I went to Bible school, and they taught us never to be too close to people, that you should be on an island. Touch not the anointing. Protocol 30 years ago in a Bible school, they would teach you to sit in chairs on the stage away from everybody else. You don't get close to people, you're the anointed one. If you have a problem, you just pray it through. So I remember raising my hand, I can't have any friends. No, ministry's lonely. I'm going to hate this. <laughs> so my wife and I are fighting every day, and no one knew. <clears throat> so when we would go to Bible studies, we would argue the whole way. When we walked down, I would look at her, she would look at me, and we knew it was game face time, which meant fake time. Yeah. And we'd walk in and people say, Wow, y'all some marriages. We wish we had a marriage like you. My arms around each other. Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> so now my wife is broken in a room. And I'm in a room. And I said, Lord, something's wrong with me. And I'm lonely. And I don't like the way this is going. And he said, Well, I forgive you, but I want you to go and apologize to your wife. Now that was hard. So I go in there and I apologize to her. And she looked at me, her bottom lip, I'll never forget that quiver. But she looked at me and she said, uh, she said, who are you? She said, listen, I'm with you for the rest of our lives. I love you, but I don't know who you are. I don't know when you're being authentic and when you're not. Are you being real when you were dating me and we were engaged and you wrote me poems? Are you being real with me when you preach from the pulpit and brag about me? Are you being real when you put your arm around me and we go into a Bible study? Are you being real when you yell at me in the living room and tell me to shut up and you regret marrying me? She said, I'm with you forever, but I got to know who you are. And I said, Michelle, I don't know, but I got to figure this out. Just for a second, it got really weird because I preached that sermon that weekend. Right before I went to preach, the Lord spoke to me and said, what I want you to preach on is what you said to your wife. I want you to tell her. I said, God, I can't do that. God, that's not how you do church. They taught me in Bible school. God, you need to go to Bible school. They'll clear that up. That's not how you do that. So I decided, so I decided, 
many have disobeyed God? Oh, yeah. so, so, so I asked everybody, I said, hey, this isn't really going that well. Simultaneously, they all said, no. No. So I closed my Bible, and I told them what I just told you, about when I told you it was 30 years ago, and when I told them, it was two days before. So I thought it was over for me in ministry, because you're not supposed to do that. And then I looked at Michelle in the front row, and she was shocked. <laughs> and I said, Michelle, do you want to know who I really am? It's me right now. And I felt the arms of God go around like, this is my boy. <laughs> I thought ministry was over for me that day, but I didn't care because it was so incredible. But you know what I found out? My ministry started that day. This is who God, look at the early church, and this is how you, like, I'm speaking to you about being life giving, although it looks like I chased a rabbit. The early church, if you look at the original design of the early church, they would break bread together every day, and they were glad and sincere, like they, they shared things with one another. Who knows where you're vulnerable? Like the one place where you can fall and get into trouble what is it, and who knows about it, and who's praying with you about that? That's good. Who do you know that can call your wife and ask if you spend enough time with the family? I love to work. I'm addicted to it. I get a high off of it. There were a few years where I had to have somebody who could check my schedule to see if I was, if I was doing family night, if we ever took any time to rest. Otherwise, I wasn't doing it. So when you get home, if you look in the mirror and you see something hanging out of your nose, we saw it too. And if you don't let us tell you about it, then it doesn't do any good. Most pastors, as I travel around, they're the kind of person that people have to read books about to figure out how to have skill sets on how to approach you with things that are private in your life. And I just want to encourage you, don't live that way. You don't have to. It's a facade. It's a lie from the enemy. You can have friends. You can be transparent. Have a place where you can take your heart out and throw it on the table for other people to see it. Now, I do want to say, if you have absolutely no integrity, then you probably don't want to be very transparent. <laughs> but <laughs> you can Twitter that. Let's keep going. I'm going to teach you something that we started doing a few years ago that I've never heard anywhere else. And that's what I'm trying to do is teach you things. I love, I love systems and mechanics. And I study what Hodges does too. Uh, but I wanted to give you something that maybe you wouldn't hear anywhere else. There's a billionaire in our, in our church. His name is Scott. And uh, he sold Verizon uh, several years ago. And he loves God with all of his heart. But I notice all of his kids are serving God. His parents serve God. He serves God. He's flying through life at a high rate of speed like me. So I said, do you have any advice for me? And he goes, yeah, I'm glad you asked. I've always wanted to teach you about the heat map. So I wrote down that word. I want you to write it down right now. Heat map. H-E-A-T map. In terms of life giving, there's nothing that we're doing currently right now. Uh, that is helping us be more life-giving than what I'm about to describe to you. This is a pretty simple process, but it's huge. 
He told me that what he does about three times a week, he will make a heat map, H-E-A-T, map, M-A-P. And he writes down the things that are heaviest on his heart. It could be one of his kids. It could be the finances. It could be the church. It could be someone he needs to hire. It could be someone that he doesn't know what to do with. It could be the gov- government of the, bo- of the church. It could be a, the city officials. Whatever it is, it's always different. But if you were to write down five to seven things right now, you have it. And then he says what he does, and this sounds a little spooky, but if you ever do it, you'll know immediately that it's not. He literally would just pray over that list. That's all he would do. Pray over that list. And he said, he goes, I don't know any other way to call it, but the one that heats up while I'm praying, the one that has like acid on it, like the one that is painful, like the one that I'm most worried about on the heat map, that's the one I deal with first every day. That's the one I pray about first. That is the one that I look up scripture for, and that is the one I call my friends to help me with, and that is the one the executive team helps me with the most. And if I have to tell the whole church about it, I'll tell the whole church. Uh, he said business. If I have to tell the whole business about it, I'll tell everybody because i got to get that cooled down. If I don't cool it down, it's going to destroy me. And he goes, Rick, you need to know what's on your heat map, and you need to go and tell somebody about it. So I started, I went home, this is a few years ago now, and I've been doing the heat map for a few years, and I want to give you the progression of it, okay? Everyone on my executive team, I, I got texted this morning. Pastor, what's on your heat map? Okay, and they work on it. I'll tell them. Let me tell you what's on my heat map. There's a few times where I can't tell everybody. It's maybe, it's more associated with someone else. But they know it's on my heat map. But through the process of time, now I know it's on their heat map. So it's not just a one-way street. They know what it is that it has to be cooled down in my life or I'm going to be destroyed. And I know what's hot in their life, what needs to be cooled down, or they're going to be destroyed. This is just creating a relational environment where you actually care. And people care about what you're going through at the same time. Can I have an amen? Amen. I want to talk to some of you about the Jethro Principle for a second. This will give you a life-giving vision right away. Jethro. Everything was tied down. Moses was destroying the work of God. It was bottlenecked in his office. So a lot of people, what they do to teach on the Jethro Principle, because if you remember the story, and I may not get the numbers right, because I actually don't know for sure, but Jethro went to Moses, he goes, Moses, he goes, this thing is crazy, and everybody's got to go through you, you destroy it, like this is not going to work, but I've got a plan, let's take those that are good at over 10 and put them over 10, those that can handle 100, put them over 100, those that can handle 1,000, put them over 1,000, those that can handle tens of thousands and put them over tens of thousands, and then we'll organize it that way, and then they'll just go to their primary leader instead of you every time, and we can run this thing much more efficiently. So through the years, leaders have taught half of it. I'm going to teach you the other half. The half is, if you're designed by God to be over 100, you'll struggle at 1,000. And there's a measure of truth to that. But there's a flip side, and I just want to speak to the people. First of all, let me me get as real as I can. If you're designed by God to be over tens of thousands... It doesn't make you 1% better than those that should be able to I think, I think even in the ark, we get off track on that sometimes. But I do want to tell you 
that if you're designed by God to be at a hundred, you'll struggle at a thousand. But if you're designed by God to be over tens of thousands, you're going to struggle at a hundred. <clears throat> and some of you, church is really hard for you right now because you're small. And I just want to tell you, if you're designed by God to be over tens of thousands, you're going to have to ace being over a hundred. Or you're never going to see it. This applies to my life more than anything else I'm going to talk to you about. Because when we started our church, I really thought because we were in Arkansas that one day we'd have 200 people and that was it. I had a huge vision, but I put it on the shelf when God said, Arkansas, there's no one lives there. <laughs> it's like, gosh, Lord. So I just said, okay, I'm going to go for two. We're going to have 200 people someday, but I'm going to love them more than they've ever been loved in their lives. What I didn't know is that we were going to start as the largest church in our city and continue to grow. And now we've had over 100,000 decisions for the Lord. I didn't know that would happen. I didn't know. So why am I even telling you this? Because people come to me all the time and they say, Rick, I'm so embarrassed to call you. I don't want to bug you. I know you're busy. I don't know how you do everything that you do. Every time that happens, here's my mindset. They have no idea how easy this is. What's hard is being over 100. When we started our church, that was hard. Pastor has to unlock the door. Church every Sunday. Go turn on the air conditioner. Call the sound man and remind him the church is again Sunday. Run over to the hospital. Counsel everybody. Lead every meeting, every prayer meeting. Preaching sermons got to be ready to go. Expert in advertising. Expert on Twitter and social media. The pressure of all that compared to now. But if the Lord wouldn't have guided us, guided us through the waters of the smallest seasons, we would not have the blessing yeah. of the place that I am called. Yes. And I do believe as I travel around that a lot of people are gifted to win a city. They're stuck at a hundred because they only measure the success based on what could happen one day based on what could happen that day. Like you have to love love those people like that's all you're ever going to get. And keep the life-giving culture. Because I'm going to tell you, a lot of pastors, this embarrasses me, but when we start a church at the Ark, some of them, they start with 1,000 people. Uh, another one might start with 75. And what I can't take another day is to look at the person who started with 75 and for them to be embarrassed. It's immediately you have no life-giving spirit in the church. You stop calling your friends and tell them what's going on. And then those that have a higher amount of people, they stop calling you because they can tell it bothers you. And I just, look, my best friend is Chris Hodges. We started the same day. He's got a million people in the church. He's literally two to three times larger than us. Everything they do is better than our church. But I'm going to tell you one thing. I love Arkansas. You yes. couldn't get me to leave for a yes. second. Yes. If you had to, I don't understand why every one of you are not begging to move to Arkansas. <laughs> I have a supernatural call for it. I just love it. I just beat us on everything. Even fasting. They go 21 days. We knock it out in a week. <laughs> Y'all tracking with me?
multi-site. How many are not interested in multi-site? You're just not interested. Okay. So we have, how many are? Okay. I'm going to talk to you about multi-site. We started with one campus, and uh, just like most people do, uh, well, that's not too fast for you. But what you may not know is, we, yeah, we have 17 campuses now. Uh, two of them were mergers. Uh, 15 of them were just pure plants. The mergers didn't work so well, so we had to close them down and try again. So they're almost all plants. Acquisitions will work in certain situations. But I just haven't found one yet. <laughs> so, okay. it's, it's easier to plan, trust me, because you got. I could go down that road, but I wouldn't waste a lot of time. Uh, but we started our second campus, our seventh month as a church, and uh, so we started our church in February. Um, whatever the distance is between February and June, that's when we had our second campus, and. Um, that's pretty rapid. I mean, that's moving quick. And uh, we were in a city called Conway, Arkansas. 50,000 people live there. And uh, now there's almost 60,000 there. Uh, but Little Rock is where I really wanted to be. But the only family I knew in Arkansas lived in Conway. So they said, we want you to start here. So I said, soon we're going to have another campus. Uh, soon after that, the Lord gave me a vision for 50 campuses in Arkansas. We got a long ways to go, but we're going to get there. Uh, the reason I know it is now all of our campuses are going to start a campus in the next two years. And we've got a vision for that. And I'll, I can share on that, you know, after the session if you want to come and talk to me. But when we started the second campus, I just want to let you know, if you don't like your first campus, you're not going to like the second one. <laughs> There's a lot into that. Because a lot of people, what they do is they go, wow, I hate the first campus. Let's get it right the second time. <laughs> you're going to have to ace it the first time. And uh, if you don't like the second campus or the first campus, you're going to hate the second one. And in fact, the hardest campus that you will start will be your second campus by far. Uh, because once you leave, you know, it's like a, a sibling to, to, to the house. And, and, and it's just harder to, 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 to manage and to keep everybody a team when you're not in the same house anymore. And uh, it's very hard. Communication skills, all of your systems have to be flawless. Everything has to be clear and obvious. And... And the relational, you have to work three times harder to keep the relationships going. Uh, Pastor Dave was talking about earlier that they get together every Wednesday that, that, and pray. That's the reason why that campus is successful because they work twice as hard. You don't have to pray all the time. If you're all in the same house, you're praying all the time anyway. But when you've got them scattered abroad all over the region, you've got to bring people in to build relationships. Can I have an amen on that? So the second campus we started, let me tell you, you'll never, never start a, a campus because you want to grow. Yep. You start a campus because you are growing. And it's just like adding a third service when you haven't filled up two services. Well, why would you do that? Well, we just won't try. Well, you can try. But it would be best for you to fill up two and then add a third. And uh, it's the same thing with campuses. Let it let it work and grow from the overflow of what you do. So through the process of time, we don't pick the next city. We pick the next leader. I picked where I live. I love where I live. You couldn't pull me away from Conway, Arkansas. Live on top of a mountain. There's four colleges in that town. I just love being there. Well, it's a good thing because I'm going to live there the rest of my life. 
And God calls people in seasons and into places. Well, I want my pastors to be on staff with us for the rest of their lives. We're a life-giving church. Every time somebody unplugs and moves away, it takes away just a little bit of the family. And so I want them to love it and choose it. Now, I can work on their prayer time because I had one brother saying, I want to plant a church in Jonesboro. I've always wanted to plant a church in Jonesboro. Jonesboro is two hours away from where he was in Little Rock. So I said, yeah, okay, let's pray about Jonesboro. Let me show you some data about Ben and Brian, which is only 10 minutes away. And let me show you the 2,000 people we have coming in from there every week and uh, who are tithing. People are leading. I just want to show you this. And uh, he's like, man, the Lord's showing me right now. We need to go to Ben and Brian. <laughs> so you can work it by, by giving them that. But I believe it's very important that that couple, that they are called to live and die in the city of San Francisco. I just think, I think it's probably more important than anything else related to campus development. How do we do our services? How, how do we even run uh, our services? I write the sermons, but I like raising up leaders. I love video church. We do video at our main campuses. We are unique uh, because we have two main campuses. This is very important for you to understand. We started in Conway. Our second campus was in Little Rock, and those two became primary campuses. We have two main campuses. I drive back and forth to these campuses every weekend. There was a season for five years where I did seven services every weekend. I don't recommend it. I'm not bragging about it. It's embarrassing. But it was before I had enough leaders to speak, and it was before HDTV came out. And there was just a lot of reasons. We just didn't, didn't have the quality. I couldn't do it the way I wanted to. And I'm still working on the, the covenant relationships like the, in, in our church. So it took a while. But then I started. I found somebody, and then I moved out. So I believe in video. I want to make sure you know that. I believe it. Because our two main campuses, we decided to put video at the largest services at our main campuses and to prove that people choose services based on prime time and not video. Prime time wins more souls of the Lord than anything else in your church. When you're growing, prime time is the sole winner. So I thought, well, if that's the case and I'm preaching this and I believe it, then I'm going to put video at the prime time, the sweetest spots at our main campuses, and I'm going to speak live at the other services. And that's what we have done, and it works. Outside of that, though, I like raising up leaders who can preach. Just something about it. I just I get a high off of that. Not every church needs to do this. So I'm, I'm paranoid right now because if your church is multi-site in their video, it's going to be embarrassing to me for, 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 for me to think that you're, you're going to hope that your pastor changes his vision. He better not. You better do what the Lord is telling them to do. But I am telling you, I love. I used to be a professional golfer, and I used to love to teach people how to play golf. It was a hobby of mine for years. Now I'm not that good at golf anymore, but I, I know how to, to pastor uh, more every year. And I love raising up people who can speak. I raise them up. I've found most of our pastors who can preach their brains out in the four years of our church who had never preached a sermon. Pharmaceutical sales rep was telling me a story about what happened with the doctor that day. And I'm listening and going, this brother could preach. <laughs> I started pouring into him a year later. He's preaching in the main auditorium with me and no one else in the room. I'm taking notes and destroying his sermon. It was a mess. 
But then we worked on it and got it better and better. Within 14 months of that episode uh, in the foyer of the church, he preached his first sermon to a church at that time that had 7,000 people. And uh, now he's one of our primary speakers. When I'm not around, people applaud because this brother's way better than me. I love finding people that are better than me because remember, if you're a seven and you're finding nines, it bumps up to seven. You can't do it in children's ministry and, 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 and on the worship team if you're not doing it with the pulpit, too. That's good. That's good. So I love raising up preachers. So what does this mean? That means that all of our campuses, except for two of them, 15 of them, it's live speaking. So what does that mean? On, on Thursday at 12 o'clock, I finish the sermons, I write them, and I send them to the brothers. And some of the ladies speaking for us. So I send them out there, and then... They start working on it Thursday and Friday. I send a second edition on Friday at 12. Saturday, they go into a private link. They don't, none of them have Saturday night services. I have two. And we do this for a reason because they go into a private link. They're scattered out all over Arkansas. They watch me speak the sermon they've been working on. And I give them the freedom to change it as much as they want, but not the leading points in the outline. And the reason why I say no, not to the leading points is because at some point in the sermon, when I'm done, I'll take a five-minute clip out of my sermon. Let's just say it's the third point. Let's just say it's three points in the sermon. So you preach point one, yada, 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 yada. Preach point two, yada, 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 yada. Preach point three, yada, yada. When I'm done, I look at the sermon, and I don't try to pick the one that was the meatiest. I don't pick the one that's the funnest. That's the one I always want to grab. I'll pick the one that I think will help them grow their church. That shows the vision of our church is bigger than their own campus alone. That's the one I pick. I ship it out to them, and then they're preaching. They go through their sermon. Same notes that I had, but it's their sermon. First point, second point, when they get to the third point, they go, listen, last night Rick was talking about this last night. Check it out. And then interactively, I am there speaking with them, so I still have a presence but it's not a video service, not a video campus, even though video's being played, but no one's going around saying, man, my church, you ought to come to it. It's a video church. And so I'm for video. I believe in it. I put it in our prime time spots at our prime campuses. But I just get a high off of raising somebody who can preach. It bothers me. It would bother me if we had a vision for me where someone who can lead and preach would have to leave in order to do it. That would offend me. So I at least want to have that option. The sad thing is a lot of people think they can preach, can't preach. And so when you have a lot of options for them to preach, you still hurt them because then you have to tell them they're not good enough. And so, but either way, this is, this is how we do multi-site. What time is it right now? 2.12. How much time do I have? Okay, let's go to. All right, so that's it with multi-site. I, I can't go over the mark. They, they said I could do Q and A at the end, so I, I, taught, I just taught you everything I know, and I have to make up stuff. But I'm, I'm okay. You won't learn anything from us, but you gonna have a good time. All right. But, but seriously, we we work really hard on how we do campuses. I'm gonna tell you one more thing about a campus. This is very sophisticated. Uh, this is going to be advanced campus teaching, but I felt like I should tell you. We are in the black every time we start campus. The 
the day we start, we're in the black. That's good news, right? That's great news. The bad news is we have to borrow money to build the buildings that are sufficient. So we're in the black, praise God, every time, but have to borrow a few more million dollars. Negative. So the question became, how much debt is too much debt? Our budget this year is going to be like $28 million. So you get you look at the budget, you go, okay, this is what we're going to take in, and how much is too much debt? And I just don't like debt, and so I started getting paranoid about it early. But then I started thinking, and this is just the progression of it. What if we could go into these communities and get in the black without borrowing any money and letting someone else borrow? In fact, what if we could just use their money? So I, I used to be a, a, a trader in the, the stock market. I did calls and puts, which is aggressive trading. So I noticed as I was looking out there that a lot of people have their money right now in money markets. And I was thinking, why well, you don't put your money in a money market unless you're afraid to invest? Because there's no return there. So I thought, wow, if they could see our portfolio, they would invest in what we're doing. <clears throat> There's no way they can invest in what we're doing. We're in church. And through a lot of prayer, it just hit me in the middle of the night. I woke my wife up. And I said, babe, they can invest in us if they invest in the brick and mortar. That's the only way. But they can. So fast forward it now, three years later, we now have price wars going on between people in our state who buy the land, Build the buildings, build it out, put in the FF and E, like turnkey ready with video and lights and everything. We lease it from them for 5% more than their cost, so I didn't have to incur more debt. We know we're going to be in the black, plus 5% more than that. It's not even 5% more, it's just 5% more in the cost of the building, not 5% more in the whole budget. Much less than that. So I know we can do it. And, uh, and then what they do is a lot of these people love our church so much that they're going to do this for us for 15 years and then deed us a building. Wow. And then they get a 50% tax write-off. It just can't be a part of the, the, the contract for them to do it. It can only be a handshake. So even if they never give us the building, it's still a win for us. Because we're now moving in the cities at a much more rapid pace. Yeah. The reason why I know is because I was a ball and chain. I was the one saying, no, let's not go there yet. No, let's not go there because I was afraid of the debt. <laughs> but when I changed that, we have since then, uh, we have now started at half of our campuses. Uh, because now I have no fear. And we are the devil's worst nightmare in Arkansas. Yeah. And I think we can get to 50 campuses. So we had to open up a school of ministry. That we do on Monday nights. It's not for the kids. We have a college for young people. It's Monday nights for people who are 35 and older who have busy. And they come to school and on a Monday night we teach them the word, theology. Tuesday night they pick their elective. Campus pastor, worship, uh, creative, administrative, kids ministry, youth ministry. And we train them on Tuesday nights. We do this for two years. And now we're ready. They all graduate in January. So now we don't have a financial handicap. And we do not have a 
lid on our leadership development. And I'm telling you, we could be the first Christian state in the nation because we're helping other churches do their part. We're training people, other churches, and then we're going to do our little part. So that's life giving to me. church or bad church, doesn't matter. For them to get our DNA, it takes about two years for them to be actually very active. It takes about two years. Uh, for example, they might come in with a lot of authority. Here's another point I was going to touch on on life giving. You have a certain amount of authority, don't use it. Uh, you can use some of it, but don't use it all. Uh, there's nothing worse than somebody showing up at a meeting going, Hey, I'm the pastor. God told me this is what we ought to do. Let me just ask, what do y'all think about it? And everybody's going to go, well, we, we think about God. We love God, too. I guess we have to do it. Uh, the Bible says love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. I, I think love is more important than authority, especially in the early days. And... Uh, so when people come in, they tend to come in with all of their authority. I, I know what I'm doing. And it, it's just a slow-moving process. And most of them cannot take the pain of slow-moving. Because they were able to sell the last church on getting a mic in their hand really quick. And that's not the DNA of our church. Okay. Yeah. We kill them. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of 
people who have fallen into sin. And, uh, but sin to me could also be someone who's not even teachable. They're destroying the church. I look for this value in terms of life giving. Are they a son and a daughter in the house? Yeah. Listen to the language of them. This is how you know. If they're saying, well, I don't know why they do it that way. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's a sign right there. I wouldn't do it like that. Listen to the sound of the people. So, first of all, we don't put them into the pocket until we know they have the language of the family. So you save a lot of, most churches, the reason why they fire a lot is they hire too quickly. And it's just much better to wait until they're in the family, and then it's just a different ballgame. And um, so we, our staff, man, our original launch team, the only one that's not on our launch team from when we started our church are the people who have moved away. So we just keep them, loving them. And I'll tell you a mindset that helps me with that. Most people who are griping in your church, and I know you're going to disagree with this, all right, so go test the waters. Most people who are griping on your staff or in your church, the reason why they're really griping is not because of what they're saying. It's because they don't feel loved and valued. And if you can just pull them in your office and love them, give them a chance of dreaming out loud with you again, remind them of why you're glad they're on the team, hug them. You and your wife, take them out to eat. And a lot of times they forget what they were complaining about. And they become, not an adversary, but a proponent of helping the vision. Just because everybody wants to be loved. You've all been in a place where the person over you didn't love you. And that's a horrible place to grow. Okay? Can you give me your process for uh, multi-sides so you guys do the same series all the way across the board? Yes, sir. Except we all... Well, yes, we do the same series, except for when it's a new campus. A new campus cannot be asked to do whatever series you're going to. We're about to go into a series called the Arkansas God Saves, which is our vision series. Well, we have, a, we have two new campuses in Clarksville and Fayetteville. And it would just be ridiculous for them to have to preach on giving and legacy and commitments, you know, at the grand opening. Hey, welcome here. Glad you're here talk to you about raising money. I mean, so so we have the series that we did when we started. The first series I ever did was with Chris Hodges. It was 10 lessons, a series called Life's Top 10. He he wrote five of the sermons. I wrote the other five. And I've kept those through the years. We've we've changed it really to Life's Top 10 is a fake series. That's what we call it, fake series really is not a series. It's a fake series. You can put anything in there that you want. And I think you have to have those type of series that you can float around. So we literally cut and paste that and give the campus that option uh, to, to, to do it at their opener. Yes? Talk about being multi-site. Do you see a differentiation between planting churches and planting multi-sites? Do you plant churches? Yeah. What do you do with leaders who are just like, I've got my own vision? Yeah. The world Ark? That's a great question. Uh, it's a very popular question. You know, we started the ark with some other guys, and um, and now the ark is strong. So many people are giving to it, but we've always given two percent of everything that we take into the ark, and uh, and so that's become quite a bit of money. And um, so I like that we give to the ark, but what I like the most about the ark 
is that the ark is successful. 93% of the time, they succeed when they plan. And uh, it's because they do a lot of study. There's no politics in it. It's just if you've got it, they're going to believe it, and then they're going to plant you. Because they're not trying to plant a church that makes it. They're trying to plant an influential church like in the book of Acts. Jason, he turned the city upside down where he was in. That's what they're looking for. So if they want to plant a church, I'll send them to the ark to be a success, uh, to, to be investigated, to be uh, vetted. And when they're, when they're vetted, uh, sometimes the ark says no. So I'll let them look into that first, early. And, uh, and then when, they, when they're told no, a lot of times they want to stick around with us. I don't mind the crumbs from the table of the ark. And uh, I don't mind it at all. Uh, but typically speaking, that has only happened uh, one time, and it's, it could happen again this next year. But out of all of our campuses, none of them asked to plant first, except for one, and then soon to be another. Uh, because it's so much easier to be a campus pastor than to plant. And we let them do whatever they listen to. We give, we, here's how I do our campuses, and this is, I didn't want to get into this today. But I'll say it in short, and you can know. I'll let the campus pastors at every one of our campuses run that campus exactly the way that I did when our church was that size. When we're at 1,000 people, I know exactly what I was being paid. I know who I was able to hire. I knew everything about them. The only difference is they have a group called Central that we can supply to them that is much cheaper than they can hire on their own. So they never opt out of choosing Central, our graphics, our videos, uh, our logos, uh, our admin, our HR. You just can't afford to go out and do all of those things. So we give them so much liberty that it looks a little bit like a downgrade to go and plan sometimes. And, uh, and I actually do that for a reason because I don't want our family to leave. And so I can either tell them, no, I'm telling Ark, you're worthless. Uh, or, or I can just create an environment where they never want to leave. Uh, I have three more minutes. So when you plant another, or excuse me, when you start another campus, do you have all the bases covered from your worship children's admin? Uh, can you walk me through that, like everybody that you have to have ready before you send uh, out? Okay, that is a loaded question that needs to be answered. But we, we actually have, not only do we know the template, but we have software that we have written that I can give to anyone here. And, uh, and the software is related to that. It's also related to, let's say you plant a church 10 miles down the road. Well, you're going to corral people over there. Okay, that's wonderful, right? Because you create space in the original. It's wonderful, but it's real leaders leaving and real finances leaving. Yes. So you've heard the city campus is actually having to pay a huge price. Yeah. Well, how do you know what the price is? Are you going to have to have software to show you what these people have contributed in terms of time and talent and treasures in the Sydney campus so you actually know uh, what their involvement is and pay back to Central? Yes, and so we've done this so many times now that we have figured out how, how, how to do that. And uh, that way, campuses are motivated to start campuses because if they're just losing their finances and losing their people, campuses are not going to want to start another campus. So we figured out a way where they're motivated to do it. It actually helps them. 
CU to get the software, sign up or something? Yeah, you would. Uh, okay, best place to do that is C. Roberts. That's my assistant. She doesn't have the software, but she knows she runs our own church. Listen, I wish I had much more time with you, and uh, if we can do anything for you, uh, you can email Claire, C. Roberts, R-O-B-E-R-T-S, at newlifechurch.tv, and uh, if you ever want to come and hang out with us at anything that we do, our roundtables and anything, we, we don't charge for any of it. Uh, so, anyway, thank you. God That's bless you. Why don't you grab us a little bit? Yes. Can you know, lot us, okay, lift up your hands, Lord. Lord, I just ask for a spirit of multiplication to be on everyone here. Let them dream dreams again for you. Lord, I pray that everything they put their hands to do will, will be blessed. Lord, I pray that everyone on their staff will also have like vision. Pray that they'll be lenders and not borrowers. Lord, I pray that you'll give them favor each and every day. And we thank you the most that we know you. But right after that, we're thankful that you want to use us. It's amazing that you do. So we say, yes, sir, here we are. Send us and, uh, and make it count. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Love you. Love you.